Welcome to the One Golden Moment Podcast. We're here. We're talking basketball. The Yankees aren't playing right now, so I'm humoring myself with this cow men's basketball. I really don't know why I'm here. What? What'd you say? MJ hit that beat? I don't even know what that means. My son says that to me sometimes. It's the only time he talks to me. Hey, Dad, get get off the microphone, okay? This is Rory O'Toole. This is the One Golden Moment Podcast, okay? Stop messing with my computer. But MJ... Hit that beat. I just, I, I cannot relate to this generation. I don't know why you hang out at the mall. What do you do at a mall? I didn't even, what, what, come on. Welcome to episode number six of the One Golden Moment podcast. This is Justice Del Santos, as always, joined once again. He's back from hibernation. Back from snowy Tahoe. Yes. Mr. Rory O'Toole. Welcome back, sir. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. Not for Cal, but for us. <laughs> it's good to be reunited. But uh, before we get into the, the Arizona game that we just witnessed, before we even get into the Arizona State game from a couple days ago, I believe you had a certain prediction, a certain prediction oh. that Cal would beat a certain team oh. in a certain city. Rory, if I can... Are we sure that was me? If I can show you the witness statement, I can show you the testimony. You, I believe you were under the assumption that USC, A, did not have a team, and B, they would lose to Cal at Galen Center. And I was able to disprove both of those things. One, UCL, USC actually, in fact, does have a team. Yep. A pretty good one, in fact. I didn't know they actually existed. I thought they were broken and just gone in fairy dust, but no, they were very much real. Can you blame me, though? There, there, were, there were some moments there where it felt like we had a chance in that L.A. road trip, especially against USC. But you know what? Like our editor said, Josh Ewan, OG himself, the worst thing a Cal fan can have is hope. Worst thing. And I allowed myself to dream. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry I want a better life. I apologize for searching for happiness, but I, I can't go into the head of what they were thinking during that road trip. But I can tell you that I was having a I was living my best life personally. Yeah. But before we do get into the Arizona State and the Arizona games, do you have any thoughts from that LA road trip that we weren't able to get on wax because he because while I was living my best life in LA, you were living your best life in Tahoe. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, you know, I'm feeling good, enjoying myself. In the nice snow, in a winter wonderland. And I'm just feeling real positive. And I guess I was blinded by optimism, you know? Because that was a real wake-up call. That transition from non-conference to conference. I thought, you know what? It's a new season. It's a new team. It's a new identity. Things are going to be different. And they weren't. I mean, even with Steve Alford gone, like UCLA in the middle of this huge media storm and we still weren't able to exploit them or USC. It was just disappointing, man. Really sucked. This is a shot hitting league and uh, <laughs> you, gotta, it. you gotta hit shots. That's what Y-King tells us. That's what it, that's yeah. what, that was specifically the downfall of that. Just a bad matchup, guys. Just, just bad matchup. That's all it was. That was the downfall of the UCL league. I still believe that because I feel like the UCLA game definitely was an aberration from what Cal can do. They shot four of 20 from three. Yeah, I mean, that's... That can't happen, right? Right? Right, guys? I don't know. I'm a little... 
I'm I'm not sure of anything at this point, honestly. Who knows? Yeah. Knock down knock down three th- more threes, maybe have Paris Austin be in that game. There's a lot of different cuz there's definitely a scenario in which they could have actually left LA with a win. It's just everything that needed to fall into place for that to happen just did not. Nope. Uh I think we, honestly, though, we're just a little, like, too optimistic because I think we see this team and we see what they can be, and sometimes you get caught up in the potential of what a team can be and you don't look at what they actually are. And what this team actually is is just not that great. It's a team that can possibly not win any conference games. That's a very real possibility. Let's let's run through the a little recap of of Arizona State and Arizona. Mm-hmm. Then we can start getting into like the grander conversation mm-hmm. of what this season actually is. To provide a little recap for those listening, Cal uh, currently loses a five straight. Not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are now five and eleven on the season uh, against Arizona State, an eighty to sixty six loss. That was the second game without Paris Austin and Matt Bradley. Once again, had to assume the responsibilities of being a point guard. Uh, Darius McNeil, Justice Suing, and Andre Kelly were all reinserting to the starting lineup after that weird game against UCLA where none of them started. And Did we ever get an explanation? The that? explanation was... I'm trying to remember exactly what <laughs> I can say. Because he definitely said... I think it was that the whole idea that this it's not a privilege, it's earned. That sort of wow. spiel. That's so, a little shade to starters. Yeah, especially against a team like UCLA. And yeah. Darius and Justice ended up having great games. So, you know, they, they did. Yeah. But in that Arizona State game, Cal, they actually led 35 33 at the half. They did benefit from Arizona State missing a lot of open looks. And I was currently, I was taking photos down mm. on the floor while this game was happening. So I didn't have the stats in front of me. But, you know, I didn't need the stats to tell me that Arizona State was just bricking shots that they normally hit. Uh, then in the second half, you know, this is a shot-making league, and Arizona State started making shots. Uh, they completely took Cal out of the ballgame in that second half. They outscored Cal 47-31. And as a whole, they shot 57.7% from the field, while Cal only shot 31.8. Matt Bradley, playing his second game at point guard, had six turnovers overall, five second-half turnovers. Remy Martin, uh, a fellow Filipino, uh, carved up Cal off the bench with 24 points and eight assists. He does... I wish you were here to see this in person because it looks a lot prettier in person. He had a lot of those passes where he would sidearm it, and as he's sidearming it and lets go, uh-huh. he does like a 360 spin. Ooh, and he, I, I think some that. of them were 720s. And, that's a little swag. And That's when you're feeling good. That's when he's feeling it. Oh, man. He did it multiple times. No wonder he killed us. After the first time, I was like, did he really just do that? The second time he did it, I was like, Cal is going to lose this game. That's what game. teams are basically doing us right now. They're just playing around. They're clowning us right now. The beauty of Remy Martin doing that was his head coach is Bobby Hurley. and Known for his showmanship. <laughs> and, there, and there was a lot of moments when after Remy Martin would either make a shot or like he would make one of those passes, I would look to the bench and just gauge Hurley and he's... You know, he never even had the sweat, like, the sweat coat on. He's just, like, pounding his feet. There was a point in the game where he sort of, like, got into Remy. And then from there on. Do we have photos of this? We definitely do. <laughs> we do I have, need to see some I, have, of these. I definitely do have some photos somewhere on my hard drive the, of the, 
you know, as as our photography staff will tell you, take 300 photos, you might get five good ones. Yeah. But Zylan Cheatham also had 17 points. Rob Edwards and Lugan Stewart with 13 points. Matt Bradley did lead Cal with a career-high 19 points, along with three round rebounds and two assists. Darius McNeil with 16. Relatively quiet night for Suing and Andre Kelly against Arizona State. Suing with seven points on six shots. Kelly with six points on one of three shooting. I think let's go into the Arizona game instead of instead of the post game of uh, Arizona, Arizona State. State. Yeah, I think we're both. We can both agree that the uh, post game of Arizona was a. Well, it was a very quick press conference. It came quick. It was. Uh, <laughs> we didn't wait long at all. Jim Knowlton was satisfied. Everyone was happy. The energy was great. Wyking was not angry at all. You know, everything's going fine. We just didn't make shots. That's it. A couple of those shots go in, Justice, and uh, apparently we win this game. But really, what happened in this game, in reality, is Arizona is Arizona. They're way better than us. They were actually missing shots. We hung around in the first half when we shouldn't have. I think, what was it? It was 40 to 28, which was actually like semi promising for Cal. Um, we hung around with them a little bit. Justice Suing got going. He was 4 6 from the field, 3 or 4 from the line. He had 12 points. This is the first half. This is the first half. Um, and then that second half came, and it was like a storm. A storm of talent just rained down in Haas Pavilion, and we were not able to handle it in the slightest. Um, Justice Suing played great. He finished with 27 points, 9 of 10 from the line. Um, First missed free throw since December 15th. He's currently shooting, I believe, 87% on the the year. That was heading into the game. And last year he shot 67%, so he's been knocking them down. But more importantly, everyone else played like garbage. On Cal. Matt Bradley, you mentioned he had 19 points against Arizona State tonight. He had six points, um, only one three pointer, one of four from the line. It's not great. Um, Connor Vanover, two of 11, only seven points, two of five from three. You mentioned he seems like he's rushing a shot right now. Yeah, there are definitely some moments where, you know, when he has the time. You know, he'll sort of go through the full motion. But he is coming back from injury, so it might be a combination of, you know, trying to get his shot back after yeah. coming back from injury. Also, the fact that, you know, this is the Pac-12 now. Mm-hmm. Instead of having, you know, someone that's like 6'8", trying to run up on you and block your shot, you got Chase Jeter, you have Ira Lee, you have Zylan Cheatham. They're the ones that are contesting your shot now. They're yeah. quick, they're long, they're big. And so you got to speed that shot up a little bit. Plus, he's... You know, freshmen, they hit that freshman wall at certain points, but it's definitely not encouraging to see, especially after coming back from no. injury. And White King did not sound happy. He mentioned both freshmen need to step up uh, in the post. Kelly and Vanover. Kelly had a terrible game. He's had a terrible stretch during this five-game losing streak. We'll definitely talk about that later. Um, Darius McNeil, only 3 of 12 tonight. Nine points, a little deceiving. He got a garbage time three-pointer. Should be more six points. Paris Austin, who Y King said was the key for this team to get back on track, did not play well at all. Two of eight from the field, four of six from the line, only one assist. And 
the bench didn't really get involved in this. Even when we were down by 20-odd points, uh, Y King just kept the starters out there. Yeah, I found that to be a not not so much interesting as just a head-scratcher, especially because when you take into consideration the context. You just got uh, Paris Austin back from injury. This was his first game back after missing UCLA yep. and Arizona State with an ankle sprain. And yet... You're still running out the starters. Also, Connor Vanover has, you know, he's coming back too. He's still getting his sea legs back after, you know, colliding with someone's shoulder, diving for a loose ball. And do you remember exactly who was out there in that last, that last stretch? It was definitely this. I know, I know that Justice was for sure out there because he was yeah. the one dribbling out the clock. I think it was just all the starters, man. It was either all the starters or something close to all the starters. Yeah. But considering the context. Considering you just have someone coming off of an injury, and it felt like punishment, though, almost. Like, when we were watching it, and then seeing Y King's demeanor at the end. If you're wondering why the the basketball hoop sound effect just triggered, it's because my laptop decided that, you know, it's kind of had a rough night, too, and it just... The sound program stopped working, uh, technical difficulties. We don't have MJ in the studio with us, unfortunately, because we are still over winter break. But to continue your point about um, Viking continuing to play as starters, it definitely I've, I've noticed that trend over the past couple seasons where he will, you know, ride with whoever's on the floor mm-hmm. and just sort of keep them out there and not play his end of the bench guys, but. I feel like at that point you just got to bite the bullet and say, okay, Roman, and I don't believe James and Jules actually dressed. So Roman, Grant, like David, Blake, yeah, like like come on out, kill the time, just get do what some you got experience. To like whatever experience it may be, especially like especially just taking into consideration you got the core of your like the central part of your team just coming off injury. Like what's four minutes? but an opportunity for him to re-aggravate that injury. Yeah, it was really, really strange. Um, I have no explanation for that. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a, and that last possession was, it was kind of, it rubbed me the wrong way in a way because the shot clock was turned off, Cal brought the ball up the floor, and typically when you're the team that's down, you know, you shoot it, either you make it, you miss it, and then the opposing team that's actually winning grabs the ball, dribbles the clock out. But, and you know, Justice did have 27 points, and I am see him walking up the court, and I'm thinking, okay, maybe he goes for career high, goes for 30. And he's, you know, right in front of the bench. And he just kind of, like... He, he doesn't shoot the ball, but just... It's not the fact that he didn't shoot the ball. I understand it. But it was the way that, like, he handled it after. He, like, pump faked, like, four times. Like, you really wanted to shoot? Yeah, it was kind of... And then didn't. It was a, a glitch in the Matrix type situation. Yeah, it was weird. I feel like he... I mean, obviously, anyone would want to get 30 points. Like, that's a good mindset to have, but... I, yeah, I wonder if Wyking gave him the stink eye, like, don't shoot the ball. Don't shoot the ball. Um, also worth noting in this game, 
A very large population of Arizona fans. A very oh. large population of Arizona fans. A lot of U of A chance. I believe they got into it very quickly. They were not shy about chanting the U of A. They almost fought each other. <laughs> like you want to, you want to. There's no fighting between Cal and Arizona on the floor, but in the stands, it was there was some Arizona on Arizona violence that was like almost like it almost went down. Might be very a, close. <laughs> now we don't know exactly what happened, but right across to our right from press row, mm-hmm. there were there were two parties. That I think one said Arizona's a blue blood and the other one said no, and then they went to fight <laughs> over it. I think it was it was one of those deals. So yeah, it was definitely It was a, bizarre. It was, it was hilarious. bizarre. There's a, a lot of red in that crowd. Too much. A lot of Steve Kerr jerseys. Definitely a lot of Steve Kerr jerseys. That was definitely a thing of the last few years, right? Definitely. Because if I'm an Arizona fan, I want an Iguodala jersey. Um, maybe an Aaron Gordon jersey. Maybe a Damon Stoudemire jersey. Yeah, I don't want a I don't want a Steve Kerr jersey. It's the Bay. It's, he, yeah, he's the man up in that. Yeah, that I just in that it, one arena. It, it rubs me the wrong way. It's like you guys weren't riding Steve Kerr when he was on <laughs> TNT, but now he's coach of the Warriors. Okay, let's now, see how it is. Now, before we cut to the press conference that mm-hmm. happened after. The Arizona game. There's two points that I'd like to bring up. One, um, this might just be the fact that it was around ten o'clock at night, but to me, it feels like the like the time between the game ending and them coming up to the presser is, you know, it's it's been increasingly being a little longer. It's a I, weird, weird thing. I will give. I wasn't as mad because there was pizza in the press room, <laughs> and as a... We're children, basically. <laughs> you can bribe us with pizza, and then we're happy. <laughs> then we'll shut up. But uh, let's hear what Viking Jones had to say, and just as soon as well as what they had to say after this 87-65 loss to Arizona. Before the game, I challenged our guys to, to pick up their sense of urgency uh, defensively. And... Um, you know, just for whatever reason, it, we didn't have it tonight. We didn't have it tonight. Um, the two things that, that we worked on the most this week, which was shooting, you know, because we're a very good shooting team. We got a ton of shots the last two days. And uh, free throws, we struggled with tonight, which, which, you know, Darius McNeil goes three for ten, you know, and he has wide open looks, you know, and um, – we go into the locker room down 12, and, and you know, he hit, if he hits a couple shots, if we make our free throws, uh, I think we're right there, and they don't have such such momentum uh, coming into the second half. But we have to improve our, our sense of urgency on the defensive end. It, 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 it's, it's, it's a major, major problem for us right now. Um, we're an athletic team. We're a quick team. We're undersized, so we shouldn't be – uh, getting taken off the bounce the way we're getting taken off the bounce, opening up the floor for guys to kick out to wide open shooters. You know, defense gets sucked in, we get beat off the bounce, somebody has to help from the corner, defense gets sucked in, kick out, and they get wide open looks. So we have to do a much better job containing the dribble in the man, in the zone, no matter what defense we're in. Uh, and that's 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 major problem right now. Uh, 
in addition, you know, my two freshmen, they have to do a better job in interior defense. You know, we say take away left shoulder, take away left shoulder, Chase Jeter wants to go le over left shoulder, and we're consistently giving that shot up. Make him shoot the ball with his, with his, with his left hand over his right shoulder. You know, sit on that left shoulder and don't let him. You know, you call that, some of that is inexperience, but at the same time, you know, there needs to be more effort, more sense of urgency when it comes to getting that stop and making that, making the right defensive play. And so right now, you know, for me, you know, that's, that's what's hurting us right now. Our guys, is, the sense of urgency is not there right now. And um, we need to desperately improve that. So, uh, I believe you have some specific thoughts on that press conference, Rory. We were definitely talking about it on the way here. Yeah. Would you like to share those? Uh, a lot of thoughts. Thoughts with the, the public. We, did, we didn't throw in the full thing. The full press conference was about 10 minutes. And, uh, you know, this, is, this, is, this show is hosted foremost by us. But, uh, you know, what were your sort of big takeaways from that press conference and if you want to feel free to throw in some points that we didn't include mm. uh, in that two minute opening opening introduction yeah. feel free to do so uh, I really the notion that the problem was we didn't hit open shots is just a false narrative to me because as we know Arizona missed a ton of open looks on the perimeter in the first half Brandon Randolph uh, their leading scorer was he didn't do much in the first half. Let me see what his stat he was one of six in the first half. Like <laughs> Chase Jeter, he was four of seven. He's not doing amazing in the first half. No relation uh, to Derek Jeter, by the way. Yeah, well are we sure? I don't think we sure. confirm. Our sources Let's just will say confirm. he's his nephew. People believe us. <laughs> People just buy it. We'll fact it's check a better that in a quick story. Seconds. Come on. That's what we do here. Um so the notion that the issue was uh, Darius McNeil wasn't making open shots in the first half, and that's why <laughs> we were down, um, is just really ludicrous to me because if he was being honest, actually we should have been down by more than uh, 12 at the first half. Um, and the whole sense of urgency thing, I mean, is that not calling out himself that he can't motivate his own team to get up for the University of Arizona. I mean, I don't really understand that as uh, the main problem here. I mean, we were... They had a lot more talent than us, and they actually had a scheme. Like, they were blitzing the pick and roll. Um, they were playing the passing lanes. They were working everything through Jeter and Justin Coleman. Um, he doesn't mention any of that. He puts it all on sense of urgency. And I'm just, I'm not seeing that. I mean, granted, Cal wasn't playing super hard, I don't think, but that really wasn't the issue. The issue was we had no system on offense tonight. We only had seven assists. Um, we were came out with a press defense that doesn't really make sense when you're going against an athletic team. Um, Coleman just blew by Austin on a couple possessions. So I think it was more of a strategic and tactical issue than anything about attitude of the team. 
there's also that sequence I'll say it felt like a, a rather awkward sequence when there was questions about the, the sort of the emotional endurance of the freshman oh, yeah. at that point in time <laughs> he did not but, like that one yeah I'm, I'm, I'm not sure Wyking was a fan of uh, that line of questioning but it, it definitely while the question itself may have come off as a little like just the way that the question came out the, the answer came out was it may have felt a little awkward but there's definitely some merit to that yeah. especially because you know heading into conference play you know I believe they were five five for five and seven you know that's not gonna win you a national championship but that's like a fine like record like win loss wise just like you know there's a fine little balance but now you're losing five straight that's and a serious problem and I think we can get to the idea of adjusting our expectations at this point mm-hmm. heading into the season you know as someone that covered the team last year and you as someone that watched the team last year I can say that I was somewhat confident in the notion that they'd win at least 10 games this year and my line of reasoning was there's nowhere to go but up because last season it felt that there literally was nowhere to go but up but I look at this season and the way that these past five losses have panned out and I also think back to last season because the only reason that Cal was not winless in conference play Mm. it took a miraculous comeback against Stanford on the road which you know that doesn't happen very often that took heroic efforts by Justice Suing Darius McNeil and Marcus Lee replay that game 90 out of 100 times with that set of circumstances you know heading into halftime more often than not Cal's gonna lose that game and then the other game that Cal won in conference play involved Kingsley Okoro now a Cal alum having the game of his life the only double double of his career he knocked down 12 of 14 free throws as a borderline 50% free throw (laughs) shooter that's nuts. And, you know, I do look at the state of the Pac-12. I do realize this has been a historically bad conference this year. Although, you know, UCLA is getting back on track. Washington is undefeated. Arizona is undefeated. And, you know, I look at games against possibly Colorado or Utah, of course, Washington State, maybe even Stanford as games that are possibly winnable. But then you see games like this where... It just feels the vibe like there's there's losses and then there are gut punches. And I feel like those gut punches are beginning to accumulate. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the best for the team's morale. You know, you never want to, you know, go blow for blow with some of the a lot of players that might be destined for the league at some point, if not, you know, blue chippers and five stars. But I think I'm starting to just reevaluate whether or not this team not only whether or not this team is going to win 10 games I think at this point in the season I don't believe that they're going to win they're going to get to that 10 game mark I just don't envision a scenario where they win 5 games regardless of the opponent they they might come close in some games you saw in the UCLA game and the USC game that you know if some things go right Mm -hmm. those games might be a little closer so it's for, so for me in terms of expectations it's no longer a matter of are they going to get to 10 wins I just don't envision that happening for me the question there, it's sort of two questions at this point 
do they at least match eight wins, which means they would need three. And, mm. you know, granted how we've seen this team so far, that is a legitimate question. If you want to be nice to them, you can add in one win that they probably would have had against Detroit, which was canceled due to the unfortunate fires that happened uh, several months ago. But then even if you want to go with that argument, they still need to win two games. And who are those two teams that Cal can beat? And, you know, the offense, there are going to be nights where the offense might shoot them into games, where they might score 80, where they might hit 10 threes, where Justice might have a game like Arizona, where Darius might have a game like he did against St. John's. But then you also might see nights like this, where Justice is the only offense, where Darius is the only offense. And with that being said, you know, there's this question of, you know, will they act, will they go winless in conference? And I talked to some of the, the fellow staffers that uh, write for Cal and they cover Cal, and they sort of brushed off the idea. But I think it's a legitimate question to be had at this point. And you know, however outlandish it may sound, especially considering, you know, I don't have the stat in front of me right now, but as I checked it today, Cal was by far the worst Power 5 conference or Power 5 conference team in terms of defense. Mm. And not even just that, they're one of the worst defensive teams in the entire country. They rank, in terms of Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency, 330th in that range. So I'm, I'm going to pass that on to you. I, I, I threw it out there. What are your What are your sort of thoughts on yeah. I mean, the eight wins and the, the winless? Yeah, my conference. line of reasoning for the 10 wins, I also predicted at least 10 wins, and... My reasoning was this conference is terrible. I mean, any game is a winnable game in the Pac-12 at this point. At least that's what I thought. And in theory, that's still true with most Pac-12 teams. I mean, the Pac-12 is terrible, and you're seeing random um, results that you wouldn't expect. Uh, There's not really a clear hierarchy right now, but Cal does not seem like one of those teams that's really capable of getting 10 wins eight wins is still a possibility i think but because it is like i said it's an open conference but there are some really really troubling issues with this team going forward especially with andre kelly um he's really regressed it's really concerned me um and we're just getting destroyed uh on the low post like, that's our kryptonite right now, is, and that's related to the defense, how bad we are. When you allow teams to score in the low post, I mean, that's the most efficient shot in basketball, is <laughs> right in the paint. And um, we give up a lot of shots right around the basket. And I don't know how you can win when that's your vulnerability. It's not like, I mean, we give up a lot of open threes too, but... A lot of teams have that problem. We have a problem if we can't stop people right next to the basket because we're undersized and tactically a lot of times outmaneuvered. It's hard to win when that's the case, and I don't really see a remedy for that apart from Andre Kelly returning to form. I've been saying this. I'd like to see Vanover and Kelly play together, have a two-big man lineup. I don't know why that hasn't been tried. I know you checked on Ken Palm. They've played, what, five minutes together? I think it was like 5% of the time. Yeah, something ridiculous. I mean, at this point, why aren't we trying that? 
I understand we don't want to clog the lane, and maybe Vanover is not totally in shape at this point, but I just feel like there's no creativity, there's no imagination with this team right now. And if we're going to win 10, hope to win 10 games, hope to win eight games, we have to make some serious changes. And a lot of that starts on the defensive end, especially down low, because we are just getting eaten alive. Rakosevic killed us, USC. Moses Brown killed us, UCLA. Miles Carter, Seattle killed us. Zylan Cheatham, Arizona State. Yeah, uh, the guy at San Jose State, I don't remember his name right now, their big man, <laughs> killed us. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. We just get destroyed. And today was Chase Jeter. Um, he had 23 points. Um, we got outscored 42 to 22 in the paint. I mean, that's that's as bad as it gets. And I do think that, especially down low, you know, regard like at the, at some point, regardless of how well you scheme, regardless of how well you know your personnel and their personnel, there's going to be a point when it just comes down to who do you have on the floor and how can that person, mm-hmm. you know, bang bodies, and. You know, Andre Kelly, like he's for as skilled as he is on the offensive end of the floor, he just isn't that, you know, strong, like that same strong defender down low, that presence that And he's undersized. It definitely doesn't help him that he's also undersized a playing slight at the six eight. He's not like a tall six eight, you know. Yeah. And, and then sorry, uh, Vanover's I mean he's seven three, but he's he's a stick out there. He gets bullied. Andre Kelly sort of is who he is as a player. You know, he's definitely going to fight down there. You know, I see it. Like, it's not the lack of effort that I see. It's just, you know, he's not meant to guard fives. He's meant to play the power forward position. And it gets back to your point of yeah. throwing out Vanover and Kelly out there. And it's putting Kelly in a position where he has to sort of play out a position defensively. And when you're banging bodies with someone like Chase Jeter tonight, it's it's like it's not easy to do. You know, I again I I go back to this point consistently. Like I empathize, you know, with these guys because, you know, they're student athletes in the same way that we're students. We go to the same university, we still have to put in the same amount of work. When they're going to class, we're going to class, stuff like that. But you do have to be able to acknowledge you know, shortcomings. Mm. And, you know, you were talking about the sort of how Andre has played in the past five games during this losing streak. In the past five games, he's putting up 5.2 points and 5.6 rebounds per game. He was previously averaging around 10 and 6. And it's also on, you know, a lot worse efficiency. I believe he's shooting, I don't have the number in front of me right now, but I believe he's shooting in 30s over these past five games. And I do acknowledge that some of that's due, you know, he's not playing the same non-conference opponents he was playing earlier in the season. You know, these are big boys. These are players that, you know, 6'9", 6'10", 6'11", possibly, that are like sort of in the same weight category as him. And, and a lot older. A lot older as well. That definitely does play into it. But, you know, that's sort of just a they-are-who-they-are situation. What's more concerning for me is the three-point defense because this is a problem that dates back to last year. There's a feeling that... 
Good point. If you just swing the ball, if you if as an opposing team, if you move the ball, you're going to get an open three. And there was a lot of points in this game specifically, but overall in terms of the past two seasons, where someone will get an open three-pointer and there won't be anybody in the vicinity. Someone might have been sagging off or maybe when they decide to run zone, which I'm not a fan of this team specifically and their personnel specifically. Do we know if it's a zone? Sometimes we don't know. (laughs) Sometimes it's confusing as to what Cal's even doing out there. It'll look like a zone. And then it won't be a zone. It's it's really bizarre. There is there there is the point that you know this team it doesn't really have an elite defender, and that, I think that's definitely that definitely plays into it. The personnel definitely plus, does play into it, but at the same time, you got a game plan around the people that you do have on the floor, and I, I could sort of let you take this one, but you seem dissatisfied with some of the some of what you've been hearing in terms of, you know, game planning and accountability. Yeah. I mean, I think coaching comes down to putting guys in positions to succeed, right? It's not... Everyone has strengths and weaknesses as a player. Each player on Cal can play. They have some kind of strength. And you're, as a coach, you need to hide those weaknesses and put them in positions where their strengths are highlighted. And... Like you said with Kelly, I mean, he's out here guarding fives. How is he supposed to succeed like that? And then that goes all the way back to the emotional confidence that uh, one of our colleagues was asking Viking. I mean, if he keeps getting destroyed down there by fives because he's playing out of position, something he's not, you know, supposed to be playing really, his confidence goes down. It affects his offense, which is really his strength, and it's just this terrible domino effect. And he's really a microcosm of this. I mean, you see it with guys like Jawan, too. I mean, he was supposed to be a defensive stopper. But I feel like he's not always given a role on the offensive end, and then he gets disengaged on defense. Um, it's just, I, I feel like these guys aren't really, they don't know what their roles are. They're kind of just thrown out there, you know. No one's like, I'm the defensive stopper. I'm the shooter. I'm the this it's more like you know we're just gonna roll the ball out there kind of find your flow in the game but when you're playing college basketball when you're playing Pac-12 you need to find roles and I don't see him right now I really don't there definitely feels there's that sense that these guys aren't getting the most that out of themselves that they could be just because of the positions that they're in. Yeah. And, you know, I've always been a proponent of, you know, sort of unleashing Andre a little bit. Let him lead the break. Let him shoot a little more. And there was a play today that sort of stuck out with me, with Andre specifically, where this was when I was down, like, taking photos, so I didn't have the best view of it, but I saw it clearly enough that someone passed him the ball. He was at the top of the key. He appeared to be wide open, and he just didn't pull the trigger. And I'm thinking, like, this is a kid who was touted for his ability to shoot. And, you know, he's just become such a post player to the extent where shooting is not even a part of his game anymore. And that's discouraging to see. And then to the point of Darius McNeil, while he did miss, while he was 3 of 10 on 3 today, and there are games in which he's, you know, somewhat inconsistent and missing wide open looks. 
there's also games when I see, you know, he's feeling it a little bit, but the plays that are, or the way in which he has to shoot his threes aren't, they're putting excess pressure on him to create his own shot and not just catch and shoot. Yeah. I feel like there should at least, you know, when it's a catch and shoot, the opportunities that he does have, it feels more that, you know, he's just open because someone blew an assignment and he's, you know, catch and shoot three. And you see him make these catch and shoot threes and it's like, this is something that should be a, especially a point of emphasis yeah. and you know it's just more a matter of you know if it's there it's there rather than let's create that three exactly. and I do I do acknowledge that sometimes when these teams do run zone against Cal because that was sort of a theme with uh, USC and UCLA and Arizona that you can't exactly run you know set plays but Arizona was playing a lot of man-to-man and that's a time in which they were just blitzing the pick and roll they were doing that's that what they well. were doing all game and we didn't adjust to it at all. I mean, that's just, like, right there is, what are you doing as a coach? What are you saying to your guys? They're blitzing the pick and roll. Okay, slip the screen really quick so you could get an open look, and then if they collapse on you, find Darius or Bradley in the corner. I didn't see any of that. They just kept running these pick and rolls. They blitz, and Paris or Darius would have to backtrack and then the time he'd be thrown off, then we throw it to Justice. He'd get a free throw sometimes. He'd get a layup sometimes. But there's no system there. There's no adjustments being made. I mean, does Darius have a play? Like, he's a shooter, right? Do we have a play like, yo, this is Darius's play? I don't see that. I mean, he comes off baseline screens. That's... That, that's what we're going to call his plays. I mean, that's pretty basic elementary stuff. And there's definitely a lot of times when someone will come up the floor and they'll sort of, when it's running a zone, you know, they'll swing it around the perimeter, try to break the zone. But then with man, you know, it just doesn't, you know, we've already acknowledged in previous podcasts, this is a very rudimentary offense in what they run. But, you know, it's hard to, Sometimes I do bring up the question. I'm like in my head. I'm thinking, what's going on with this play? What exactly are they doing? And you know, again, empathize with them. They're student athletes. But then at a certain point, they, they go to the University of California, Berkeley. These are smart kids. I feel like if you were to draw up a play for them and you were to say, we're gonna run something like a horn set for you, Darius. We're gonna come up. You're gonna, yeah, come off like come off the screen get really close to Andre or Connor, make sure that the defender like collides, get your shot if it's not there, go to plan B. Whatever they want to run for in a hypothetical situation. These are smart kids and I've talked to them, you know, over the past 2 years and you know, they have a good head. Like a lot of them have really good heads on their shoulders mm-hmm. and I feel like if you were to throw this out for them, they would be more than willing to do so. I just don't know if I'm seeing that. I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I think we had this conversation too podcast ago that was about player development in relation to Juwan and it's with everyone really it's I don't see any development for these kids right now and the in-game adjustments are just another example of that I don't see any improvements in play calling or reacting or adapting to the situations and matchups it's just it's kind of like last year or it's kind of, you guys figure it out, make the best of it. A lot of shots at the end of the shot clock. A lot of possessions bailed out by free throws. I mean, 
that's not a way you're gonna win. It's just never gonna work. Uh, yeah, it's really concerning. Man, we sound sad. We sound like yeah. our dog died. But it's really, I mean, when you're with this team every day, basically, it, it starts to wear on you, man. It really does. I'm not going to lie, bro. My dog actually, like, did pass on oh. New Year's Eve. My oh man, my Bailey, God. you know, I got, like... Condolences. Rest in peace to my dog, Bailey. You know, he's been holding it down for me for 13 years. On my keychain, though, I actually got, you know, his little dog tag with me. Oh, man. So, you know... Wherever he go, wherever I go, he goes in spirit. Yeah, I'm not going. <laughs> I was thinking about that too. We definitely were sounding. Yeah, really down I there. mean, I mean, we really are sounding really down. But well, they—that's where we're at right now. It is 11:44, and we very much are approaching draking hours. Yeah. <laughs> Be aware. I do another thing to to go back to the defense. A point that uh, I did want to bring up is to the personnel problem. Um, there's a there's a man of the name of, of Matt Stockman, you know, for all the, the talk that, you know, I've put out there of Jordan Brown and, you know, Cal missing out on him and he would have been a great player to have on this team. You know, he plays the five, gives Andre plant a chance he to play forward. Uh, Matt Stockman, seven one, he played three years at Louisville. I'm not entirely sure what the like the particulars are of him, but I do remember a point in time when he was supposed to transfer to Cal. And I hadn't thought of him in a long while, like just because he hadn't been around like the regular circulation of news. So I decided to sort of see what exactly like he's up to these days, for lack of a better term. Like, he's currently averaging three point three blocks per forty minutes for Minnesota, and you know I see that production at Wait, a power can you five. Repeat that? Can you repeat that stat? He is uh, Matt Stockman, a seven foot one rim protector is currently averaging 3.3 blocks per 40 minutes for Minnesota. Oh, my God. I just imagined the universe in which we had a rim protector. Oh, my God. And... Oh, my God. He was slated to come to Cal. And, uh, you know, I, I went back in the archives to see exactly why he didn't end up on this campus. Uh, apparently, to quote the Star Tribune, he decided to remain in Minnesota after the process to enroll at another school became too difficult. You know... Excuse me, what? Became too difficult? You know, we're talking... That can't be the real reason. <laughs> that cannot be the real reason. That's all I'm going to say. That's going to be for the other episode, conspiracy. <laughs> Cal conspiracies. What really happened? Because people transfer all the time. It's fine. This also, this isn't the first time this has happened either. There was a... I don't remember who it was, but I remember there was a player that was part of the Justice Suing Darius McNeil, Juwan Harris, Dyson class mm-hmm. that originally committed who ended up just not coming to Cal for whatever reason that may be. Did he say the same thing? I don't remember what exactly he said. All I remember is... Back in summer 17, seeing an article that this player who was originally intended to come to Cal is just not coming to Cal anymore. <laughs> wow. So I remember in previous in a previous podcast, we sort of went over this hypothetical, you know, this was definitely when the optimism of Oski was at its all-time high when we were mm. when we were definitely encouraging our listeners to, to buy stock in the optimism of Oski. Uh, that in, I believe, 2021, whatever that season may be, in the season in which, you know, Justice and Darius and Juwan were seniors, 
and Connor, Andre, Matt, and Jacoby were juniors, and then Cal's incoming class of next year, DJ Thorpe, Joel Brown, and Charles Smith were all sophomores. And the whole idea behind that was, you know, if you were a, a top-tier prospect and you saw that team, it's like, oh, that might be enticing to potentially go there, but, you know, you're talking about player development. Do we? I don't see it. I don't see it now, man. And because because of that, like, how things have sort of wavered in the past couple of weeks, for me, like, the only real opportunity for this team to get good quickly us like assuming that dj thorpe joel brown and charles smith are just solid players and nothing more and they just sort of fit into the rotation the only real like path to remedying a lot of the problems that this cal team does have right now would be transfer route but as we've just seen it's too you know, difficult guys it's, it's just too hard to transfer to cal you know this is obviously just one example <laughs> but I don't know what would a pitch to like aside like academics aside because you know as we saw with the Reed Travis situation you know going from a Stanford University to Kentucky it's not all about the academics definitely not so if you were put in the, the position to recruit a graduate transfer I don't know what's your what's your pitch assuming like considering all that we've said over the course of this podcast and how this team might not even crack 10 wins. And oh, I forgot, I forgot to note this, actually. I've been keeping tabs on the projected wins-losses on Ken Palm for Cal. Mm-hmm. And there's a little tab at the bottom that says chance of winless record. And that's, that's in conference play. And I believe at the beginning of conference play, that was, I want to say, like, 0.2 or 0.4. Uh, it's... It's improved. It's it's up to one point eight percent now. Uh, it's climbing. You know, there's another ninety eight point two percent to account for. You know, chance of a you know at least winning one game. But it's definitely climbing. I think that's worth noting. You cannot rule it out, guys. Also, for just for fun, Ken Palm's projected record for Cal. I believe that this was recorded or this was jotted down. At the beginning of the season, but eight and twenty-two with a three and fifteen conference record. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it might be worse than that. You're saying <laughs> is um, what you're saying. It could be worse than eight and twenty-two and three fifteen in conference. Uh, That's a scary thought. Uh, to quote, you know it's bedtime for me soon. I'm gonna have nightmares tonight. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, to quote uh, Albert Einstein, uh, "Time is relative, and you know everything's relative to everybody's perspective." So I'm just gonna leave it at that and uh, Ooh, uh, say nothing. Cryptic justice. <laughs> say nothing more. Um, we're damn near at the hour mark. I think you know we're constantly pushing wow. the boundaries. Joe Rogan, you got nothing on us. <laughs> um, before I forget, I need to. I must note that Arizona State has a player by the name of Lugan Stort. He's from Canada. You know who else is from Canada? He's Rory. Canadian. I don't know if he's Canadian, but I know that he went to a Canadian prep school. He does not strike me as Canadian. Never, never think. But continue. 
You know who else is from Canada? Who? Our managing editor, Chantel Lee. I forgot forgot to give the shout-out in the last podcast, so that brings into the question, was it really a podcast if Chantel was not giving a shout-out? So, you know, I got to make up for it. I think we just got to have a... Should we get her syrup? (laughs) Canadian bacon? I think we need... We need to... You've been talking about segments. I think we need to... Dude, the All-Star game, NHL. Is gonna be in San Jose. Oh, I was gonna suggest Treater. I was gonna suggest Canadian college basketball player of the week because we definitely have like a lot of. We, there's definitely a lot, you know. Oh, I see what you're saying. At okay. minimum, we can fall back on R.J. Barrett and Lubin Stewart, but yeah, you know, with Jamal Murray and I believe Shea Gilders Alexander. I, he's Canadian. I don't My know, God, I don't know if he's Canadian or if he went to a Canadian prep school because there's a difference. It's like. It's yeah. in the same way that you have a lot of people going to the IMG Academy, but they're not Floridians. Is that Florida? That is Florida. That's around Orlando, I believe. Yeah. But definitely some Florida influence. I believe that RJ... Well, RJ Barrett's godfather is Steve Nash. That's right. So I think he was actually born. No, he's oh, actually he played, Canadian. He, yeah, he played, for the, Canadian. he played for the Canadian team. Anyway, we don't know where to... It's, <laughs> yeah. a, it's currently 11.53. So who's the Canadian player of the week? Drum roll. Do they do drum rolls in Canada? <laughs> I don't want to be culturally uh, insensitive. The only two players who I know right now that are in college basketball that are Canadian are Lugan Stewart and RJ. Oh, Mary. dude, there's way more than two. There are way more. I just don't know any. So because... You got to add that in at the end. You know, Go home, research. We'll start this next week. This will be... This will this be a recurring segment every week. Canadians. Be, starting next week, recurring segment, Canadian Player of the Week in yeah. honor of... Chantel Lee, who's going to hold it down this next semester and, you know, represent us, represent Daily Cal when it's time for her to spread her wings and fly into the real world. Of Canada. <laughs> of Canada. Yeah. That's always got to be the... The winter wonderland of Canada. <laughs> but do we have any, like, real final thoughts aside from... Uh, what were we going to say? We had some Pac-12 thoughts, right? Did we? I think we do have some Pac-12 thoughts, but... You know, we are hitting that hour we mark. Are uh, that hour. Should we do a Cliff Notes version? Let's do a let's do a run through. Um, Spark Notes version. Sorry, Cliff Notes is a dated reference. <laughs> I don't know uh, why I even know that reference. As of right now, you know it's about to be January thirteenth in about six minutes. But uh, UCLA three and zero in conference. UCLA is back, baby. <laughs> the, the monkey of Steve Alford. <laughs> the is Murray, off their back. The Murray Bartow era, and you know, just keep writing more chapters in this ever-changing era and you know the massive comeback against Oregon on the road down like nine with a minute left I just want you to answer me this question is there a less than zero percent chance that LeVar Ball becomes coach of UCLA (laughs) can you completely rule it out can you completely rule it out because you know he's in high school right now? Lamelo. He's, he's, he's looking for a school. And I know they said we're done with UCLA, blah, 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 blah. We, we all know it's show business with the balls. I think LeVar Ball, back to UCLA. You know, I, it's definitely not likely. But, you know, it's approaching... Twilight, and I have some musings, and I just really want that to happen <laughs> at UCLA. I'm desperate for it. Uh, the name that I have heard, 
you know, I feel like if you are a college basketball coach who is not employed, or hell, if you even are employed, you are a candidate for the mm. UCLA job. Uh, the name that I keep on hearing is uh, Obama, right? That's yeah, that's, for Bill Walton. Jeff, who said that? Bill Walton, who actually Dan Dockich, I think, said President Obama, Steve Kerr, Bill Walton. <laughs> yeah, you said that. Yeah, but uh, the name I keep hearing is none other than a man who is currently, I believe, in Greece. Uh, oh, oh, don't do this. It's not me. Oh, don't do this. Uh, a former coach of Louisville <laughs> currently has a son that's coaching it, I believe, Minnesota, none other than... Did he invent the seven seconds or less offense? I don't know, that was a different thing. Is that Dan Tony? That's a reference to his... Uh, where he said he finished in less than... Ten seconds with a lady at Louisville. One of his many scandals. Oy vey, but none other than uh, Rick Pitino. Um, I don't know. Is Rick Pitino walking through that door? If Rick Pitino walks through that door, we're going down to UCLA at least twice just to see this man and ask him questions. That would be... I pray to God. Honestly, who's it honestly going to be? I could see... Is Hoiberg considered? I think he definitely is considered. There, I think I've been, he do it, though. I've been hearing, like, because he hates recruiting. Like, that's been, like, a noted yeah. thing about Hoiberg is that he just hates recruiting. Thibodeau. Has Get he, Tibbs in here. Has he just he got college? fired? No. I was hearing that the reason that the Minnesota Timberwolves were so eager to give Hoiberg a position was so that he didn't take the UCLA position. But I don't even know if he would because UCLA is, like, very... You know, showtimey, and I don't feel like Hoiberg is that, like that type of persona. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe Bobby Hurley, snatcher from Arizona State. I've heard that as a candidate as well. Yeah, but also along with you know thirty other candidates. <laughs> I mean, White King, if you want to go down there, you know, no comment. Hey, hey, I don't know. It's I hear it's nice weather. That's all I'm gonna say. No comment. But <laughs> we're at the hour mark. Constantly pushing boundaries around here. Yeah, wow. This is going to be fun to edit. There's going to be a point when we're, I don't know, we might just hit a two-hour podcast. Maybe at the end of the season when it's like March Madness. Oh, yeah. Who knows? But that has been episode number six of the One Golden Moment podcast. This has been Justice Del Santos with Rory O'Toole signing off.